Well, good morning and welcome to St. Paul's. My name is Ben and I'm very glad that you've come to join with us for worship, especially on this uh, long weekend as we celebrate uh, and we have time for our families. So do you have a bucket list? Maybe a top 10 list of places that you want to go, adventures and experiences that you want to check off. <clears throat> My wife and I, Julia, uh, Julia and I, we had one of our bucket list experiences was the Camino de Santiago. And maybe some of you uh, know it. Maybe some of you have walked it. The Camino de Santiago is an ancient pilgrimage, a walking journey that ends in Santiago. Santiago Compostela, a town in northwest Spain. And starting in France, we took a month to walk the 800 kilometers across the north of Spain. We averaged about 15 to 20 kilometers a day, and we met different folks. We stayed in different places. We ate tapas. We had Rioja red wine. And yes, parts of Spain look like a picture postcard. That is our own photo, or maybe it looks like, if some of you remember, the Windows 95 wallpaper. A pilgrimage is a journey. It's a, it's a journey with a spiritual expectation, a purpose, and a search. And over 400,000 people walked the Camino last year. Some walked to encounter God. Some of them walked to have their own personal reflection. Some of them walked to disconnect from the digital world. So a pilgrimage is a different kind of journey. It's not your trip to the grocery store. This morning, as Melody read for us, we heard that following Jesus is a high challenge. It's a top standard that requires our utmost commitment. It's along this journey that Jesus encounters these three would-be followers. And as Jesus invited them, Jesus invites us to follow him. And as we will hear, there is relief. There will be good news as we hear this invitation, as we follow this invitation to follow Jesus to the very end. As Nathan mentioned for us, we are just entering into the season of Lent. On Wednesday, that first day of Lent, some of us received ashes on our foreheads as we honestly reflected on ourselves and how we fail God's ideal. Lent is a season, a season of the church year, a period of preparation, 40 days of Lent. And Lent is also a journey, a journey that leads to Easter. <coughs> A journey that leads to Easter, a journey that leads to the cross. And in this journey, as Jesus makes his way there, we follow him. You've heard this, if you've been around here at the church for any amount of time, you've heard us say it every week almost. Nathan didn't say it this morning, but at St. Paul's, we are a diverse and growing community, learning to love and follow Jesus. So during these 40 days, these next six weeks, we will, f we will be following Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, as he makes his way to the cross, we're going to follow that journey as he makes his way to the crucifixion, to his resurrection, and all this happens in Jerusalem, the spiritual center of the universe. And today, today we start in Luke chapter 9. We start that journey barely a third of the way into the Gospel of Luke. There's still 10 more chapters to go until Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem. But we have this declaration in verse 51. Jesus is on the move. The time has come. Jesus sets his face 
to go to Jerusalem. I'm not going to sing it, but some of you will recognize life is a highway. I'm going to ride it all night long. Maybe some of you grew up with the original Tom Cochran or you heard the newer Rascal Flats version. We often describe life as a journey. Walk the walk. Decisions are crossroads, mountaintops and valleys along the way. And in the same way, we describe the Christian life as a spiritual journey. Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem, and we are invited along. And so in those chapters that precede our reading from this morning in Luke 9, Jesus is already teaching and preaching. He's healing and feeding others. And there's this mob of disciples and curious onlookers. He's wandering around Galilee near his hometown of Nazareth. And it's not until this verse in verse 51 that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. He knows his mission on earth will end with his resurrection and his, crucif- his crucifixion and resurrection, the death in, that he experiences in Jerusalem. And so he sets his GPS for Jerusalem. There's still stops on the way. There's still others to be healed, others to be fed. But the final destination is Jerusalem. And as he goes on the way, along the road, he interacts with these three individuals. Maybe they have already been following Jesus for a long time. And this is their opportunity. They want to express their loyalty and their commitment out loud to him. And maybe they were observers, onlookers, spiritually seeking a good teacher to follow. Maybe this is you this morning. You're checking out what this Christianity thing is, what it's all about, what's the big deal. And for these observers, these onlookers, it would have been a common practice in ancient Palestine. Find a good and respectable teacher, listen, and follow along with them as they offload their wisdom as they roam the countryside. We don't know their names, But in the translation in the Pew Bibles that you have, the NRSV, they are called would-be followers. Would-be followers. We don't know much about them, and perhaps that's reading a bit into them, but what we can do is we can learn about them. We can learn from them about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. The first follower is enthusiastic to follow, but Jesus gives a warning a no-BS assessment of what life on the road is like. The second is invited by Jesus, follow me, but he has a legitimate excuse. I've got to go bury my father. And the third also volunteers, but this time with a precondition. Let me say my goodbyes before I disappear. So let's look at each of them one by one. That first follower keen to commit to Jesus and follow. He volunteers and he's so enthusiastic, you almost hear Dorothy and the Tin Man on the road, on the yellow brick road to Oz. Follow, 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 follow. Follow the yellow brick road. I will follow you wherever you go. Perhaps he had heard about Jesus' transfiguration. He heard about Jesus appearing in a blaze of glory a few chapters back, or he was amazed by miracles, and he wanted to plug in to that source of divine power. Or maybe it was the allure of Jerusalem, the capital, the spiritual center of Israel. Fame and fortune. Maybe following Jesus is going to be luxury. But Jesus' response is a bit odd, if a little bit crushing. 
Jesus doesn't say, sure, come on, jump on the bandwagon. Instead, Jesus tells him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, the Son of Man, doesn't have anywhere to call home, no nest to perch, nowhere to call home to rest in safety. On our Camino pilgrimage, Julia and I, we were warned of hostels and hotels that, were, that would get full, no vacancy. And sure, we enjoyed the hospitality of strangers, but we also made sure to call ahead, book ahead, secure a room, make sure that there was at least a warm bed. But here, Jesus isn't intending to crush his enthusiasm, but he's t- telling him a hard truth. There is no security, no luxury on the journey with Jesus. It won't be camping or glamping. It's not even going to be couch surfing. For all our eagerness and our interest in Jesus, discipleship often looks so attractive when we set it on our own terms. But it's a road with hardship. It's a road with rejection. Following Jesus will have discomfort. A life committed to Jesus will know the discomfort of loving difficult people, maybe sometimes in your own family. The discomfort of giving until it hurts, when it hurts. The discomfort of being out of step with culture, being the odd duck among your friends, among your coworkers. The discomfort of being disliked, of being rejected, the occasional sense of having nowhere to lay your head. Following Jesus is hard. There is a cost to discipleship. And we have the second follower. The second follower hears the invitation from Jesus to follow me. But he responds, first, let me go and bury my father. He's willing to follow, but there's something else first. There's that fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And back then, and even now, in places without refrigeration or preservation, burials happened that same day or maybe the next day. Burying a parent is not just about honoring them. It's an urgent task. It took precedence. It took priority over all other tasks. So then Jesus responds, let the dead bury their own dead. At first, this sounds so harsh, so out of character with Jesus. But we can hear this in another way. We should hear it like this. Let those who are spiritually dead bury their own. But because you, each one of you, you have heard the invitation. Because you've heard the invitation, you are spiritually alive. So therefore, those that are spiritually alive, you, you will go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Following Jesus has an urgency that feels a little bit like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. While we're awake and alive, it's time to carpe diem, seize the day. There is urgent work to be done on the journey with Jesus, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And as we had explored in our last sermon series, looking at King David, we learned how the best of the human kings, even David, the greatest of the greatest king of Israel, they take and they take. But Jesus is a king who gives and gives. God gives grace. God gives mercy. And that is worth proclaiming wherever we go. 
So Jesus is not commanding us to dishonor our parents, no. But instead, his invitation to follow is so urgent that everything else fades behind. The obligation to bury one's father was regarded by, by many to be the most holy, the most binding of obligations for a son. But Jesus says that even that, even that is secondary to the invitation to follow him. Finally, there is the third follower who shares bits of the earlier two. He volunteers like the first one and he has also something to do like the second one. There's this customary obligation to return home, to say farewell before he goes off and disappears with Jesus. His attention is split, split between following Jesus and also looking back. And Jesus simply says that half-hearted service is unacceptable. Following Jesus, being on a journey with him means looking forward, moving forward. When you're plowing a field, you need to look straight ahead. Even if you've already plowed a straight furrow behind you, because if you look back, that next bit, it's going to be all crooked. Jesus wants wholehearted followers, individuals who will give their whole heart, their whole attention to the road ahead, to following him. So following Jesus, it's hard, it's urgent, and it requires our wholehearted commitment. Discipleship, following the way of Jesus, it's filled with hardship. There's very little glory. Jesus is calling us today. He's calling us now. It's urgent. And it also means perhaps leaving behind your family and friends, the comforts and the customs that you are used to. So what does this hard, urgent, and wholehearted journey have to do with Lent? As Esau Macaulay writes in the opening chapter of our, our Lenten book, Lent is inescapably about repentance. And repentance is a change in direction, a spirit-empowered turning around. Repentance, then, is the first step we make toward God. So then, following Jesus, hearing and responding to his invitation requires repentance for that first step. And then Esau Macaulay continues to say that to turn toward God, we must turn away from something else. For some of us, that something else is sin. Sin is rejecting Jesus' invitation to follow him. Sin is plotting our own path, separate from God's holy ways. So Lent is this time of spiritual spring cleaning where we reflect on ourselves and how we have fallen short of God's ideal. In a few minutes, Austin will lead us in confession where we'll reflect and we'll confess to God together. And maybe if there's something specific weighing on your spirits, our clergy are also offering times of personal and confidential confession during Lent. You can seek us out uh, in between the services and find out more. But for others of us, turning, turning away, we must turn away from good things. We actually have good things that we have to turn away from. Jesus is calling us to drop the extra weight, the, to lose the luxuries. Good boots, as you can see here, are a necessity for achy feet on a long 800-kilometer pilgrimage. But an extra pair, this was an extra pair, it's just dead weight that needs to be dropped. 
On the Camino, we saw so many possessions that were left behind. Boots like this, blankets, books, cameras, good things. Good things that people no longer needed on their journey. As we reflect on Family Day, on this weekend that we celebrate and that we try to reconnect with our families and, and spend more time with them, God has created our families. God gives us relationships. And these are all part of God's good creation, good, good things. But these, these good things, sometimes there's so many of them that they start to weigh us down. They start to hold us back from following Jesus when we have received that call. So I ask you, what baggage do you need to drop and leave behind? What are those extra possessions that instead could be shared with others in need? What's the good news in this difficult encounter that we heard? What's the upside of turning to God, of following Jesus? From Jesus' interaction with these three individuals, we hear that the Christian life is not about comfort or about sweeping the problems under the rug. Jesus honestly reflects and recognizes that it's a difficult journey ahead. And even with all the preconditions, their waffling and uncertainty, we don't hear a single word of rejection from Jesus. You might feel that you can't endure that high standard. You can't endure the hardship, the commitment, maybe that urgency. But Jesus doesn't turn us away either. If you're spiritually searching or you're new in your journey, I hope you hear that as a word of encouragement too. Like that last follower, it doesn't matter what's behind you. Repentance is that first step of turning or returning to God. And it doesn't matter what's behind you, just that Jesus is in front of you. Finally, Esau Macaulay writes this last bit here, that Lent is a season dedicated to repentance and renewal, but it should not lead us to despair. It should cause us to praise God for his grace. We are following someone who has met every demand that he puts on us. Jesus endured hardship for our sake. He severed his family ties, his human family ties, to make us a spiritual family with him. He deprived himself to give his body and his spirit holy to us. And Jesus persevered to the very end and gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to. In this season of Lent, consider how you will follow Jesus. How you will pray, perhaps on your own or maybe with others in a connect group. How you will practice self-denial so that you can give to others. We journey together with others on the way. So let us set our face to Jesus. In our journey of faith, when we are unfaithful, when we're unwilling, or maybe we're just plain unable, we can always remember that Jesus, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is willing and was able to persevere hardship all the way to the cross. So this Lent, I encourage you to keep a holy Lent. Amen.